Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my Taste Buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. Aside from that, Bret Hart, obviously you're not in a very good mood considering what has happened as of late. What with the antics of Shawn Michaels and the impending match you're going to have at the Survivor Series with the same Shawn Michaels. And of course, let's face it, you can't be happy with last week's loss to Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Would you care to comment on what has happened as of late? Oh, hold on, that's right. You would love to comment on what happened to the Hitman last week. Now, before the Hitman puts a sleeper hold on this crowd and puts them all to sleep, we would love to tell the Hitman that I know you're getting old. I know you're jerking the curtain (laughs) on my cards. At Survivor Series, I know we're going to be in your neck of the woods in Canada. Well, I got some footage for you. I don't want everybody to see this because nobody knows Canada like I knows Canada. Hit the footage, Daddy-o. And, oh no. There, look at there. Look at that way up there. That tickle your brain? Oh yeah, oh yeah, what's it? Yep, there you go. <laughs> you know something, Hitman? Let's take a look at a little piece of footage I got for you from last week. I beat you so bad last week, my hands are still hurting me. And let's face it, Hitman, I'm younger than you. Everybody's younger than him. Everybody. <laughs> I'm better than you. Everybody's better than him. <laughs> and I'm certainly bigger than you in more ways than one. Good God, you're gonna put an eye out with that thing. <laughs> ah, the Attitude Era. The time in pro wrestling where things got real and serious and modern and incredibly awkwardly penis obsessed. Anyway, let's run. Let's see Hunter's footage now. Hit the footage. Right now you're hearing the voices of Shawn Michaels and Hunter Hearst Helmsley, aka Triple H, the Attitude Era's preeminent cut-ups. Guys who eagerly bent the rules of the wrestling ring and of the FCC on a weekly basis. Tonight, they're on the big screen atop the entrance ramp, interrupting an in-ring interview with Brett, the Hitman Hart, their longtime rival. Brett and his compatriots in the new Hart Foundation are in the ring, pacing around very seriously, while Michaels and Triple H are sitting in the locker room, slid down so low in their chairs that you can barely see their heads bobbing up from the bottom of the screen. Their dueling enforcers, China and Rick Rude, are stoically unmoving behind them. Content-wise, Triple H and Michaels could not be more different from the Hart Foundation. It's fighting words versus dick jokes. But the disparity in their postures is even more striking. The point here is clear. Michaels and company don't give a damn. Oh, hey man, I got news for you. Sometime during this show, we are going to cross paths. And you talk about us being degenerates. You know what? I'm, I'm tired of Generation X getting a bad rap. You think you're a degenerate? You think you're a degenerate? Well, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm positive I'm one. I guess I'd have to be one. Well, you know, 
Generation X always is a bad rap. Everybody calls it Degenerates. Degeneration X, is that us? Degeneration X, Triple H, HBK, China, Ravishing Rick, we are Degeneration X. You make the rules and we will break them now. From Spotify and The Ringer, this is the Book of Wrestling, 25 catchphrases that explain the Attitude Era. I'm David Shoemaker. Brett and Sean didn't get along. Famously, their on-screen rivalry sizzled and seethed with real-life animosity. That's what made it so great. The tension on the screen was palpable, it was uncomfortable, and, and not just in the Pat Turner phrase sort of way. Go back and watch any of these dueling promo segments straight through, and you'll have to resist hitting the skip forward button. It's just so goddamn awkward. But for all their mutual distaste, they helped each other immensely in their careers. Their rivalry legitimized them both. Brett by making Sean look like a main eventer, and Sean by making Brett into a personality, and more importantly, a heel. The greatest gift that either one of them gave the other, though, was this night, when Bret Hart gave Degeneration X their name. See, Brett had been calling them degenerates very deliberately for weeks. And here's where it comes to fruition. The idea for the name, though, it wasn't Hart's, and it wasn't Sean's either. So the idea and the name all came from Shane McMahon, believe it or not, all those years ago. That's the voice of Shawn Michaels himself. These days, Shawn is the vice president of talent development at NXT, WWE's developmental territory in Florida. And so, yeah, the line was given to Brett, you know what I mean? So that way we could then sort of naturally and organically, as, you know, as best we could, go into that name. But the, the whole name was sort of the brainchild of, of Shane McMahon. Because he was sort of, again, combining at that time Gen X and, of course, you know, Degenerates, what, again, which is sort of the attitude and the way we were going at the time. And here's Triple H, now the executive vice president of WWE. Uh, I've said it before, but both these guys have come a long way. My hazy recollection of it was it somebody telling me that Shane had a suggestion, like Shane just... Somebody said they're like a bunch of degenerates and somebody else said it's the kids like this Generation X crew is going to like them, you know, and I think Shane was the one that put it together and said, yeah, they're like degeneration X. And that was kind of the sticking point. Sometimes in pro wrestling, it's a character that really gets over. Sometimes it's the gimmick that gets over. Sometimes it's just a moment in time. It's, it's serendipity. And sometimes all of these things smash into each other all at once and redirect space time and give you a thing that people keep talking about decades later. This was Degeneration X. Degeneration X, or DX as they're commonly known, are an irreplaceable and irrepressible part of WWE history, both as a historical counterpart to the NWO, which totally misses the point of both, by the way, and of a lesson in the Attitude Era's bodier side. Really, they're a lesson in, well, degeneration. As much as WWE and the wrestling business in general devolved into a more violent, more explicit, and more vulgar iteration of itself in the Attitude Era, many of its stars were made in that era. Michaels and Triple H were, well, regular wrestlers in 1995 and even into 1996. Their union, their on-screen friendship, and the move towards the lowbrow was as good a metaphor for the wonderful degeneration of the company as could possibly exist. 
Sure, even before the Attitude Era, Michaels came out to the song Sexy Boy, but that was relatively low-key heel shtick when it debuted, which, you know what, I can't wait anymore. The, the song's too good, let's, let's just play it now. Yes, that's Michaels' own voice on the track. The original version was vocalized by Sean's then-manager, Sensational Sherry Martel, one of the true greats who died way too early back in 2007. But after he split up from Sherry, they put Michaels himself on the track. And as absolutely amazing as that song is, if you listen to it a few times in a row, you start to home in on Michaels' lack of pitch, the uncertain hitch in his performance. It's almost like a guy looking in the mirror and giving himself a pep talk. I think I'm cute. I, I know I'm sexy. I think I'm cute. I know I'm sexy. When I was a kid, there was nobody cooler than Shawn Michaels. I mean, he was incredibly good looking and talented and cocky. He was the closest thing wrestling had to a rock star, which is fitting because he came into the WWE's half of a tag team called the Rockers. Though, if you want to get into it, they were more of the teeny bopper variety, whereas 1997 Shawn Michaels was a seething, smirking, gyrating supernova of lead singer charisma. At least that's what young me thought. And I wasn't wrong, but looking back, just like when you listen to him sing the song, his lack of confidence was kind of glaring. That is, until the dick jokes and unnecessary sexual puns started flying, and Sean and Hunter shot to, wait, Groot, no, came into the row. Damn it, you get the idea. Let's go back to the night we just heard featuring Michael's theme song. That was Monday Night Raw on July 21st, 1997 in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Michaels came out in his weirdly usual attire of like chino shorts with a leather belt and loafers. Tonight, the shorts were blue and he was in a white and green plaid button down shirt. And he took it off in a performatively seductive style, full on male stripper style, right as he came out. You might notice that the crowd is booing him. See, Shawn Michaels at this point was nominally a good guy. He was the hero. But Bret Hart was a god in Canada. So when they were north of the border, Michaels became the heel, just naturally. To be honest, his shtick worked better that way, at least from a basic logical perspective. It was the fact that such a heelish dude could be the quote-unquote babyface that made the Attitude Era so groundbreaking. And there it is, right there, at the 56.15 mark if you're watching along at home. Michaels gets into the ring and he's doing his regular entrance pose down. There's a sort of hopping spin, arms extended into the air, exalted. And that goes into his signature pose where he slants his left leg down into sort of a front-facing lunge and flexes his biceps at the same time. It's the Shawn Michaels pose, pro wrestling's jump man. Tonight though, between the twirl and the lunge, he ad-libs a little extra to acknowledge the boos of the crowd. He takes his hands and chops them towards his crotch, a not-so-subtle rejoinder to the antagonistic fans. That, I think, was the first one. Well, not the first first one. After Razor Ramon won via disqualification to Jeff Jarrett at WrestleMania 11, the 1-2-3 kid, aka Sean Waltman, came to his aid and seemed to crotch chop as he was laying into Jeff Jarrett and the roadie, later to be known as the Road Dog. Both he and Waltman will be important to this story later on. Then also on July 7th, 1996, Bash at the Beach, when Hulk Hogan joined the NWO, one of the great moments in wrestling history. While Hogan is running down the fans to a 
chorus of boos and trash being thrown in the ring, Scott Hall, Razor Ramon himself, fellow member of the clique along with Michaels, Triple H, Waltman, and Kevin Nash, Scott Hall crotch chops at the audience. He just got done doing an up yours gesture at them. So whether or not you've seen a crotch chop before, the meaning here isn't difficult to discern. But when Sean did it in Nova Scotia, that was the first time it entered the lexicon of what would eventually be Degeneration X. Here's Triple H. So a lot of this had been floating around for a bit. You go back in time and look at some of the stuff coming out of long before they even left. You'll see Scott doing the crotch chop. You'll see me doing it. You'll see Sean doing it. You'll see Kev doing it. Here's Waltman's recollection. I don't even remember. I just just remember we started doing it. Like I was the first one to do it, like actually on a, on camera. Mm-hmm. You know, um, boy, I'm so proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys were just going. You guys were just backstage joking around, and that was, and it was just sort of like a like. like no, I was smart to the people, like you know, smart ass <laughs> fans, you know. <laughs> in the arenas and, and it was just something you know you wouldn't really do on tv point near you know your pelvic region we couldn't flip people off. we family friendly you can't do that stuff right and so you weren't really supposed to do that stuff but yet you're trying to get reactions from the crowd and stuff it was just one of the things we did pointing at our cool hey look you like right here is where you belong right like that was a a thing suck it became it's just something we would say we'd try to mask it a lot you know no oh, hey you need to look not so much here or way down here but right in here but it was all stuff we were kind of doing we would do it out of the ring we were doing it it was like our thing you know dx would of course famously mainstream the previously unheard of pelvic pointing and refine the gesture into a more trademarked but similarly lewd model wherein they'd make an x with their forearms and chopped that way, framing the X of DX, get it, around their um, pubic area. I gotta be honest, this is all really hard to describe with a straight face, and I guess that's kind of the point. The beauty of the crotch chop is that you can't put it into words without sounding like an out-of-touch loser. The wrestlers were signaling at their phallus, you can imagine an aggrieved parents organization saying, and they would be so literal as to be almost exactly wrong. It's a crotch chop. A crotch chop is a crotch chop is a crotch chop. If you're a wrestling fan, you know exactly what a crotch chop is. And if you're not a wrestling fan, first of all, thanks for listening. And second of all, you've probably seen one too. If not by wrestlers doing it, then by kids of the 90s trying to offend while crossing the graduation stage or posing for group photos. You know what I'm talking about. Anyway, there were two major components of DX, and I'm not talking about Sean and Hunter here. Two things that made DX absolutely unforgettable. One is the crotch chop, and the other element of the DX experience were two words. You know where I'm going. For that one, we jump to the October 6, 1997 episode of Raw, the very same episode that saw Hunter and Sean play the footage of the curtain call for Vince live on television. See episode one of this very show for more info. Right after the curtain call video, Sean and Hunter are interrupted by Bret Hart and the New Hart Foundation. Bret, who for all his greatness was not the Attitude Era natural that his opponents, or his stablemate Brian Pillman, see episode four, were. Bret unleashes a wild broadside against Michaels and Triple H and company, helpfully calls them degenerates, and then challenges either one of them to a match. Here's Sean's response. I've got two words for the hitman, Bret Hart. Suck it, and I've got more. I got news for you. 
You may have made more money, but you do not have more money because the Heartbreak Kid is the main event. He wrestles once a month, once a week. The Hitman's working every day, nine to five for his money because he needs it. The Heartbreak Kid is in this business because this business needs the Heartbreak Kid. It needs Triple H. It needs China. It needs Ravishing Rick. Bret Hart, you are a zero, my hero. And the only way for you to get in the main event at Survivor Series is to wrestle the Heartbreak Kid. Otherwise, you will always be a paper champion and you will always be nothing more than just support on my pay-per-view events. The Heartbreak Kid and his clique will rule the World Wrestling Federation and from this day until the day I decide differently. That was the first suck it. It just rolled off the tongue. Eventually, DX would streamline this too, eliminating much of the kind of rah-rah bluster and pare it down to two words, suck it. Or if you want to be pedantic, it was often four words. Two words, suck it. According to Michaels, the DX mantra had been around for a while too. That was just something we used to say to each other all the time. You know what I mean? Just sort of doing this, you know, looking at each other and, you know, whatever. And so then once again, that just was something we did in the back. We all make each other chuckle. And then that's what sort of the attitude era was, was bringing all of that out there in front of the people. And let's show them how we interact with one another in the locker room. And, and that's where a lot of this came from. And, and it, just, it just began to evolve and uh, get heavier and heavier. Vince McMahon was not initially a fan of either the gesture or the catchphrase, but the DX guys won him over. It was part of the shift in presentation that defined the Attitude Era, a shift that had been suggested by the clique and other ambitious wrestlers during the doldrums of the early 90s. Much like the friendship with Hunter and I, again, everyone basically by that time knew how close we were. Let's just put us together and allow us to go down this road of being more compelling and having a bit more bravado. And like I said, those were all things that... And, and again, even Steve at different times going to him and wanting to make some changes in his character. So there was a, there was a time where a number of people felt a palpable change in, in, in the business. And it was all of us going, you know, sort of not knowing we were going to, but all of us sort of asking him to influence the business differently, which he later termed as the attitude area. He, he branded it and made it something um, but there were there were ideas coming from a number of different talent at the time. It was a funny thing. It was it was almost like uh, our little Easter egg. The fans noticed we all were doing it. Kid had come out doing it. I was doing the snob gimmick, but every now and then I'd flash a little hand signal. It was kind of a, like us putting an Easter egg, and fans were commenting on it to us when we'd see them at restaurants or whatever, you know, out at clubs and stuff. They, they, oh, you guys all do that little thing. It's so cool, you know, and they do it back to us or they'd come up to you doing it like all secret, like it was some secret handshake. It was just us having fun, and but it it stuck. when Once we started doing it on TV more and more, and then once we did DX and, and we just started doing it all the time, it became a thing. 
Did DX know just how big this thing would become? Do you see how infectious this stuff is? Anyway, that's after the break. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's hard to put into words how shocking this was at the time. Sure, it was a sidestep around conventional FCC rules, but the blasphemy was still very evident. Everybody knew what they meant, including Brian James, the aforementioned road dog, who joined DX after all this in 1998. Well, I mean, look, at it meant exactly <laughs> what I think it means to everybody, but it's just F, F off, you know what I mean? Like, it's just screw you or, you know... I don't know. I think it's just another one of those things like piss off. And so it's just like, suck it. You know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, you had uh, the mother of the Brady Bunch doing it in in movies and stuff. So it definitely took on a life of its own. But at the beginning, I just, look, I couldn't believe they were saying it and getting away with it. So if you've been listening to the previous episodes of this show, you might have noticed that the point is kind of to explain to you why these moments in wrestling history matter matter to the show that they're on and the era that it's happening, but also why they matter in a bigger way, why they have such resonance to us today, and and what they said about the audience and the culture of the world at the time. That's kind of my thing. And so I ventured down the path ahead of me with some trepidation. Uh, Yes, some anxiety about the commemoration of Suck It, of Crotch Chops, of the entire Degeneration X thing. Well, dear listener, I hope I don't disappoint you. You heard Triple H say that they couldn't flip people off. They couldn't say fuck you, but they could chop their crotches and they could say suck it. They were pushing boundaries as performance art, finding the FCC blind spots and our cultural blind spots and hammering them, just like Howard Stern and South Park were doing at the same time. So many skeptics would say that the shock was the point, but the point was that the shock was possible that the world would still clutch its pearls when somebody on TV said a thing that most of the people watching TV would say themselves. The irreverence was a mirror. Why were we as a society performatively offended at things just because they were on TV? They weren't being shocking for shock's sake. They were doing it to challenge the idea of being shocked for its own sake. And why not? Why not push boundaries that are hilariously outdated and inconsistent and ridiculous? That you can say suck it while pointing at your crotch, but not fuck you? 
<laughs> you don't have to zoom out too far to see that the target wasn't the FCC or even the Puritans who were sure to be aggrieved. It was all of us. We all deserved to be ridiculed. We could all suck it. But take it a step further. DX weren't just pushing the boundaries of cultural norms. They were pushing the boundaries of the form at the same time. The first suck it came on the heels of DX playing the curtain call video, exposing the whole world to the inner workings of the wrestling business, and more importantly, exposing the fact that they were in on the joke. This is what mattered about DX. They were funny. They flipped the bird at the whole business that they outed Vince as the owner and shattered sacred cows at every appearance, that they so visibly pissed off Bret Hart, icon of pro wrestling earnestness, every time they shared the screen with him. DX ushered in the end of self-seriousness in pro wrestling at a time that it was wholly necessary. And by acknowledging the implicit silliness of it all, they, deep breath here, led wrestling into its postmodern era. On its own, suck it, is empty. But Suck It was a symbol of the boundaries that they were demolishing. Of course, the road would not be an easy one, dear listener. The path of a martyr never is. Vince McMahon was opposed to a lot of their antics early on, so was the network, so was the people in the audience, until they realized it was working. Yeah, we were doing the crotch job, and then there was a bit of pushback on that. They can't be pointing at their dicks all the time and stuff. And there was some of that as a complaint. Like, you know, there were certain places you could go. Uh, later, we would go, obviously, as a company, much further and do crazier stuff than that. But at that time, when it was first happening, there was like, a, and we don't want you not to do it, but is there any way you can just soften it, like make an X or something and, you know, not just be directly, I guess, as a frustrated, young, frustrated talent, you just go, I'm fucking going to do it anyway. But then there was a shifting point in time where now Vince is starting to see it. It's like Austin flipping people off and saying ass all the time. In the beginning, I remember being at Gorilla one time and there was a moment when Steve was doing it and, and Vince started feeding lines. Uh, I think Steve was on commentary with uh, Kurt Henning and he was feeding both of them to say ass. And I remember thinking like, I got two weeks ago, he was mad at this. And now he's feeding them the line to say it. Like he was seeing it work and he was trying to push the line without us getting thrown off TV. And I think in some manner, he also needed to express in front of everybody like this isn't right. You guys need to stop it. But even if Vince was on board, the USA Network, home of Monday Night Raw, was wholly against it. They sent a letter to WWE taking note of all the ways that DX was going too far and demanding that they stop. So Michael's Triple H in China kicked off Raw on February 2nd, 1998, standing behind a presidential podium somewhere backstage to address the network's discomfort with their body act in the most DX way possible, evoking not just the United States presidency, but specifically the then current occupant of the White House, Bill Clinton, whose sexual indiscretions were front page news. We interrupt your regularly scheduled program for this special report. Good evening, my fellow Americans. This past week, the Generation X was informed that TSN, Star TV, Sky Sports, and USA Network 
is drawing the line on standards and practices as it relates to WWF programming and to Generation X. In the future, we need to be careful of what we do and what we don't do. Again, DX gets in trouble every time we do something gratuitously. Therefore, Here's how Triple H remembers it. Vince was not happy with us doing some of the stuff we were doing. But it was, the, the world wasn't so scripted then, right? And, and we were just kind of going out there doing our thing and then coming back and we'd get yelled at and seemed like people were going nuts for it. So, you know, what are we going to do? And here's Michael's. Look, a lot of it we did with not getting okays. And you'd come back and go, oh, sorry. And, and you'd get in trouble. We got in trouble for a long time before that whole letter that we read on our press thingy. It was a real letter from USA because the standards and practices of USA at the time did not like what we were doing. And we were like, let us use that and say it on TV, all of it. Like, let us tell the world, like, hey, don't think you're going to put handcuffs on us in a manner. And the reaction will be good. And, and we did it for whatever reason, again, and I have to give Vince Russo credit, he wanted to do that State of the Union where we read all that stuff off and we would bleep them and, and, and whatnot. And we got to do it. Ah, Vince Russo. Russo was one of the creative forces behind the Attitude Era. He started off as a writer for the company's monthly magazine, soon became its editor, and then was promoted to the creative team in 1996 when Vince McMahon was looking for new blood and new ideas. Russo reinvented WWE's presentation and ethos and was a singular driving force in the Attitude Era. Th that is, until he was hired away by WCW and kind of exposed as a one- or two-trick pony, or, at a minimum, somewhat ironically, a man sorely in need of a good editor. In 1997, though, he was at the height of his creative genius and the height of his powers inside WWE. Yeah, State of the Union. A lot of what we said in that is directly off a letter that we had just got from USA Network, basically telling us from this hour to this hour, you guys can't do this. You can't use these words. You're okay to say ass or damn, but you can't say this, 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 this. You can't point at your crotch. You can't talk about your genitalia. Like, it was directly in that letter. From the hours of 9 to 10 p.m., we will only use the words ass, damn, and hell. We will, however, never use the words or any other sexual or racial slurs. From the 10 p.m. to 11 p.m. hour, we will only use the words ass, damn, hell, and We will, however, never use the words or any other racial or sexual slurs. Now, as it pertains to video, we promise there will be less references. Hey, watch your mouth. We will have less references to our enormous genitalia. As hilarious as all of that was, the kicker is really what iced it. And on a final note, even though many of you believe that currently the favorite pastime in the oral office is 
swallow the leader. I did not, I repeat, I did not sleep with that young intern. As a matter of fact, I was up all night. <laughs> they tied everything up in a neat bow. And yeah, it's obvious, but it matters. This wasn't just DX saying, hey, you old farts, don't be lame. They weren't just reflecting youth culture or locker room culture. They were reflecting our culture. The degeneration of society was coming from the top. It was trickle-down socioeconomics. The president was a worse example than anything DX was doing. And the networks were eagerly airing salacious news pieces about the White House scandals at every opportunity. As the poet once said, I learned it by watching you, Dad. Perhaps the most shocking part, though, was that DX actually succeeded in making their point. And then USA sent us a note like the next day saying, hey, great show last night. Loved how DX used our own stuff against us. And that was kind of last we heard about it. And the response from USA was so unbelievably positive that now the network was behind it because they thought it was hilarious that we poked fun at them for sending that letter and the way that we did it. And I think that's what everybody sort of came together and realized like, okay, we're the WWE, we're sports entertainment. If you are looking to us to be the moral guidelines for the world, I suggest you maybe not do that. You know, um, we're just here to entertain you, to have fun, I guess we now say, to put smiles on faces. By that time, Degeneration Next was irrepressible, undeniable, and, well, unimpeachable. All told, the original DX run was vanishingly brief. They first got together unofficially in August 1997. They officially dubbed themselves Degeneration X in October that year. The Montreal screw job, more on that in coming weeks, was November 9th. WrestleMania 14, the end of DX 1.0, was March 29th, 1998. That's seven months and change. There have definitely been more hours of documentaries produced about DX than there was actual DX content. They spent the first months of their union tweaking Vince McMahon, but the iconic McMahon nemesis was Stone Cold Steve Austin. In some ways, DX kind of gets lost in the shuffle. It's okay, though. DX's ambitions were bigger. They wanted to take on the world, and the world was responding. Yeah, man, it just exploded in a way. That, that whole time frame, you know, it's, it's hard for people to understand. We used to sit around in the back and talk about, man, you ever think you could get as big as it was in the 80s, you know, like... They understand, like, I, I can very distinctly remember doing a show shortly before that and that whole time frame and being in, like, the Bronx or something like that on a, a Sunday afternoon or Saturday afternoon on a double shot in a junior high school that was half full, wasn't even full, you know what I mean? And it was in a junior high school in the middle, like, you know, a place where we should have had 10,000 people standing outside. And it was loaded, like, a Razor was on it, uh, Brett was on it, and... You know, it was a big card. And I, you know, talk about that a lot about the, you know, God, man, I think I'd ever get back to that. And what what would have to happen for it to, to get to that? And the business would have to change, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, you fast forward a couple of years. It's not just the business becomes so big where it's mainstream. It changes everything about your life dramatically. The one that sticks out to me, and I'm sure we, we were probably maybe already going down the road, but I want to say it was Lowell, Massachusetts, and I think that's where I dropped the Intercontinental Championship to him. And, you know, in this, in this just crazy him running the ropes and, and diving on me with the one, two, three. But it was as we were coming out for that, 
And at the end of that, it was, I can remember a young lady at the very top, you know, flashing us. And then everybody with the, the X's and the people standing up. And it is, it was just, you sit there and you go like, oh my, <laughs> this is, uh, this is going really, really good. And they seem to get it. So yeah, to me, that's the one that, that sticks out the most. There's like a very distinctly, for me, can remember one time, it was right when it was, I mean, just blowing up. And I'd been on the road for a long period of time. And we went on the road, you just go to a restaurant, the building, and go to a gym, and that's it, right? Like, and I went home and I needed some stuff. And I went to the mall and I walked in the mall. And within like five minutes, there was like hundreds of people like around me. And it was insane. I was scared. And I'm like, I didn't even go to the store I went to go get the stuff from, I just like turned around and left. And people came out of my car and I, you know, I got in my car and I left and I drove around for a long time. So I was like, I want to use these people follow me, see where I live. And like, I remember getting home and thinking like, holy shit, like I can't go to the mall anymore. I can't, like the whole world just changed for me. It was unbelievable. So that whole suck it thing and the that time frame, it just blew up and was I, I, hard to put into words how fast it got that big. Coming up next week, DX 2.0, and a lot more crotch chops and a lot more suckets, I promise. I wrote and reported this podcast. The show is executive produced by superstar Bill Simmons, Sean the Strangler Fantasy, and Jumpin' Juliet Littman. Our producers are B. Brian Waters, Taskmaster Troy Farkas, Big Papa Pump Ben Cruz, and Vivacious Vikram Patel. Sound design and final mixing by Sweet Sweet Scott Somerville. The music you hear in this episode is from Epidemic Sound and Blue Dot Sessions. Copy editing by Craig the Animal Games and fact checking by Killer Cow and B. Coats. Art direction and illustration by me. I'm David Shoemaker, AKA The Masked Man. Thanks for listening.